Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Dr. Anna Yabornik about her work on augmented reality and customer experiences. Welcome everyone to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Uh, this is Carlos Velasco and I am very happy uh, to be here today with Anna Yabornik. Uh, we're going to be discussing a very, very interesting topic, uh, the topic of augmented reality, uh, augmented reality filters and many other topics that gravitate around this. Uh, Anna Yavornik is a lecturer in digital marketing at the School of Management at Business uh, at the, the University of Bristol. Uh, her research, broadly speaking, because she touches on multiple areas, focuses on consumer behavior and digital marketing, but she really specializes in immersive technologies. And this is a part that uh, in which uh, luckily we have ac actually collaborated. So I'm very happy also because, you know, I know Anna also by working together. Um, and I know both the quality of her research and the sort of insights that she derives from her research for practice. So she has a particular interest in augmented reality in commercial contexts. And uh, she will tell you more, but she also has been doing some consulting and has been discussing with some companies about uh, this topic. But Aside from uh, this that I'm saying, of course, Anna has published in fantastic uh, journals in marketing and also something that I really like, human-computer interaction, because the interaction between these two, I think, is something that is growing. So I will stop my introduction here. I will just let Anna uh, complete and tell us more a little about herself. So Anna, welcome to the podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here. Hello, Carlos. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. It really is a pleasure to be here. And uh, especially because I, I listen to this podcast a lot and uh, this year I've actually included it as learning material in my master digital marketing unit. Um, I think it's a great addition and uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to you and, and Anders, you know, for sharing these kind of more innovative approaches to learning and knowledge. Um, thanks very much again. And um, yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, a couple of things about my research, so maybe I can just expand a little bit on that. So. Indeed, my main focus is on augmented reality. I do research in other areas, but this has really been kind of predominant focus since my PhD. And um, I actually started working on it at a time when AR only started appearing in marketing or wasn't even there, which um, actually gave me some opportunities to contribute some of that initial knowledge in the area, which was very exciting at the time, but also scary <laughs> because it was this vast empty space. Yeah. Um, and um, I guess, as you mentioned, I, I'm particularly grateful to have, you know, the opportunity for collaboration with companies in this space, particularly, for instance, in the retail sector. So to see how some of that academic knowledge can feed into practice and allow practitioners to develop new approaches and implement this technology. Um, and I've been doing that with collaborators from human computer interaction, which, again, I think it's such an important angle to bring into marketing research. For instance, together with the, the company Hulition in London and um, the team um, of human-computer interaction scientists at University College London, we conducted the first field study that examined how consumers might use AR mirror as part of the retail experience. So we conducted that in the real store. Um, and that was really, really exciting. Fantastic. Um, and I guess maybe just one thing to mention is that it's been amazing to see how the research in this area has grown. So how high AR has climbed on marketers' agenda, but also how the field is changing. And I guess in parallel with that, my interests related to AR have been changing. So moving beyond that initial understanding of how AR affects brand and product-related responses and trying to now move in, focusing more on trying to unpack how AR might alter the way we experience and perceive brands and the way we consume, and perhaps more, most importantly, how we might perceive ourselves differently. And we'll probably talk more about that. <laughs> yeah, that is actually a very interesting point that we will cover later, like how AR is transforming the way in which we perceive ourselves, which is a, a very intriguing topic. Uh, but Anna, you mentioned something and, 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 you know, like I just want to highlight this. You did some very early work in augmented reality in marketing. You have a 2016 paper 
um, that does a review of augmented reality. And you also have a, a sort of more uh, perhaps historical piece in Harvard Business Review on AR that I was just checking in the past few days again. Uh, maybe let's start from the beginning. What is AR and where does it come from? For those yeah. naive you know, listeners that might just be new to the topic. Yes, of course. So um, AR is a, essentially a technology, a very exciting technology, I think, that visually overlays virtual information, virtual objects, virtual entities onto our physical surrounding. And importantly, it permits us to interact with these virtual objects in real time. So, for example, if we move, then this virtual object that we see in our physical space should react in the same way as a physical object would or change its, um, well, its position in the space so that we can see it from that different angle according to our movements. Um, now, there are different technologies that can display this virtual overlay. Most commonly used are mobile phones, so we can see them we can see these virtual annotations on our mobile screens. Um, the famous one is where we see ourselves with um, AR filters overlaid. That's very commonly used on social media. Um, or we can see virtual products, for instance, a virtual ice cream on a table in front of us. Um, now, there are other technologies that we can access AR with. Um, so these virtual items can be viewed, for instance, with head-mounted displays like HoloLens. Um, but that's less commonly used because it's less accessible technology mm -hmm. um, or smart goggles, such as, for instance, the Snapchat's AR spectacles. But here it's important to mention, for instance, that spectacles, they're not yet for sale. And it's unclear when AR smart glasses will be ready on a yeah. wider scale and when people will be ready to use them mm -hmm. on such a wide scale. Um, and one last thing to, I think, important to mention is to keep in mind how AR differs from virtual reality, given that the two are often mentioned together yeah. um, and kind of belong to this similar group of extended realities, if you will. Um, so when you're in VR, everything you see is virtual, is synthetic, is computer generated. AR, on the other hand, is this combination of physical world and virtual entities. So in that sense, it's quite a different proposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes uh, uh, absolute sense. What, one thing that uh, I got intrigued of when, when I was reading one of these early articles that you published is, is something that I guess it happens with many technologies, but uh, uh, you know, I saw it clearly here in, in, in AR as well, which is that the technology in itself is not new, right? Which is the same as when we talk about VR, you know, like the first head-mounted displays are quite old, you know, decades, decades ago. Exactly. So, when this all started and why is it that now we are really you know like talking about this so so like deeply i guess yeah i think well th this is really interesting to, to think about um and yeah i was fascinated to discover that you know ar and vr have been work in progress in computer labs for instance since the late 60s okay mm -hmm. so this technology has been um has been has been ongoing um investigation um, but at some point uh, I think it's largely thanks to the technology that's available to everyday user that we are able to use it on a wider scale mm. okay um, because once AR can be accessed via laptop or via smartphone and that's something you know the penetration of these devices is very very high also on a global scale um, and this is where you see um, more extensive dissemination deployment of such technologies. And that's where interesting things, in my opinion, really start happening because then you start see, seeing how people are going to start using it. Mm. And this is what I find fascinating with technology. You can be developing it, you can you know, be um, envisioning how people might be using it, but I find it fascinating how often people surprise you with the way they use technology. They end up using it, yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think, yeah, these are some of the factors that allowed that technology to flourish also with the popularity of social media and with the growing commercial interest in that area. Okay, at some point, brands, companies picked up that, oh, this is actually something that can really deliver value. Similarly to, you know, also ha similarly happening also in tourism context, in education and so on. 
So I think when that value became evident and accessible, this is when we started seeing the growth on a larger scale. Yeah, it's true. So in a way, it's kind of like demand, availability, and perhaps kind of like faster, cheaper, and more user-friendly technology in a way, right? So exactly. combination of factors. Okay, that's interesting. But okay, having this introduction, I would like to jump in to start seeing what is the value of this technology in customer experiences. And I think, you know, as a sort of a preamble to this question is this idea that, you know, technologies come and go, right? Uh, we have everything from you know when we started using like digital uh, photography or digital images then 3d images then augmented reality and virtual reality we have like several different kind of like ways of visualizing information augmented information and so on and actually one of the questions that we tried to address in one of our articles together was that right like you know when is that this technology is actually useful when does it add value because and this probably happens to you as well sometimes i have uh, some consulting projects in which a company comes to me and say like look i would love to use augmented reality and my first question is why exactly. right because then you have this technology against many others and sometimes it might be even cheaper or perhaps add more value to use another technology so the question here and having said all, all this is what is the value of augmented reality in customer experiences yeah this is the key question and i i love you know the simple but so important question that you highlighted so why would we be using this what new value does it bring um, and I think you know academically my impression is that this question is still work in progress at the moment in the field of marketing if I'm honest there has been wonderful development for instance in our academic understanding of customer experience which has you know been covered a lot in this podcast um, and I think there is probably an opportunity to unpack this relationship between AR and and you know the, the value of AR for customer experience further um, but I think there are different ways to approach thinking about this so you know if you think about customer experience um, to be this combination of effective sensory cognitive behavioral responses that occur when we are interacting with brands, um, then it is key to understand how AR can support this mm. in new ways. Um, now, one way to approach that is through sensory, multi-sensory experiences. And this is part of the research, for instance, that, as you've mentioned, we've conducted together as well. So thinking about how AR can deliver new sensory inputs for consumer and i think this line of inquiry is one that has been advanced nicely very nicely for instance by um colleagues our colleague olivia Petit, yourself other colleagues like james wong um, who you've hosted here as well so people work in in the multi-sensory marketing space mm -hmm. um in addition to that there's obviously that hedonic and element but that's quite established thinking right so how can ar make an experience to be more enjoyable more hedonic um or from the utilitarian point of view how it can facilitate that decision making and i think there's a lot to be said there because it allows consumers to for instance narrow down the different products that they might be considering so specify that consideration set of products and therefore make the decision-making process more comfortable. Um, and I guess building on that and also, you know, thinking how that can be done in terms of the combination of consumer responses at a touch point within a journey. Um, but if that's okay, I would like to speak to this a little bit more from brands experience, drawing on, on a recent article we published on how luxury brands can deploy augmented reality to deliver on customer oh, experience. Most definitely. Actually, it's a fantastic article. I read it and now some of my students have to go through it because it really captures some of these, you know, values added, I guess, from the technology. So please. That's great. Um, so in that, in that piece, we studied how AR can support or enable luxury brands to deliver on customer experience in novel ways. So here we really focused on understanding what can it do differently from other technologies that are already available. And here we reviewed cases of luxury brands using AR and we interviewed really executives, practitioners in this area. So we were drawing on the sort of practical uh, knowledge in this field. 
Um, and I know that Jonas Holmquist also spoke about luxury brands in this podcast too. Um, and what we know about luxury is that those brands, they have some unique attributes such as exclusivity, prestige, they need to have high quality material, um, that craftsmanship or artisanry, um, the bespoke element needs to be there and so on. So these are all the attributes that consumers want to experience in the luxury space. And something quite important for luxury brands is that they have the funds to invest as well in these technologies, right? When which is quite important because sometimes they actually adopt it, right? Because they have actually the funds to, to do so. Yeah. Well, this is really important. And actually, because you brought this up, I do want to speak to that. Um, on one hand, yes. So the, the, their budgets are usually, you know, substantially different from other brands' budgets. That, that can be the case. On the other hand, what we found very interesting is that luxury brands can be a bit more reluctant, actually, to deploy innovative approaches because it is so important for luxury brands to deliver that perfect experience okay and when it is yeah because when you're uh, an inherent part of innovation is that there will be that trial and error and we've seen a lot of that with ar now to which extent can luxury brands afford this trial and error and potentially some damage to brand image if experience is not executed perfectly and this is where that reluctance comes from. And we've seen that, we've seen that mentioning in, in our interviews, but it's also becoming quite evident that AR is now at the stage where they do feel more comfortable with investing in it and deploying it and seeing how consumers interact with it. Um, okay. And now going back to, you know, how AR can do that. Um, and here we thought, okay, AR can, this is drawing on the, on the primary, primary data, we found out that AR can enable these luxury attributes of so prestige, exclusivity, and so on, either at specific touch points or across these touch points. So for instance, it can visualize brands' heritage in new ways. It can create new visual vocabulary for the brand. It can bring brands' aura to life in a new way. There's this famous example, for instance, of a simulation of Coco Chanel Atelier, which was visualized through AR and displayed in such and such a gallery several years ago, connecting visitors with the roots, the heritage, the origin of that brand in a new way. Mm. And consumers were able to be part of that initial story of the brand. And that is crucial for luxury, that heritage. And this was enabled by AR in a new way, mm. as opposed to you know, previous technologies. Um, and then, of course, there's the opportunity to provide these highly hedonic brand experiences because that sensory element is so highly appealing. It's creating this joy and elevation, even we name it, um, for instance, through exclusive offers that are tied to a specific location that you can unlock through your mobile. And you will see a compelling visualization that is capturing brands essence in a new way and allowing you to be part of that because the visual and physical collide. Mm. Um, so that's definitely novel. And the final thing that we highlight is that, you know, it's important to go beyond these touch points. So for instance, other colleagues from augmented research like Jonas Heller and Tim Hilliken, they have been exploring quite a lot how AR can support decision-making. Um, and in the context of luxury brands and AR, we were interested how AR can deliver this highly personalized visualization of a product or a service. And because it, for instance, personalizes the product, because it personalizes the service, this then allows brands to deliver that new level of bespoke service. And that can happen in the pre-purchase stage. Um, or this high quality service can even stretch potentially across points of purchase. Um, and there, you know, it's also, you know, a bit more future oriented. So we, you know, brands spoke about the opportunity or, you know, the potential of maybe having a hologram of brands representative in your living room that would advise you in terms of your next outfit for an important event. So that very high level bespoke service for VIP clients and so on. Um, but that's something that, you know, we'll see how that, how that develops. Um, 
So nice. yeah. <clears throat> well, that is that is super interesting. So I, I gather from what you're saying, and this links very nicely to uh, we have had in our podcast Larissa uh, Becker. Yes. She's actually having a second podcast on customer journeys that will oh, be amazing. Uh, soon. Yeah, with Anders. Um, and it links very nicely because what you are doing is basically taking the uh, you know the, the the whole area of augmented reality and seeing it through the lenses of the dimensions of the customer experience to see what's the added value in each of these dimensions, the sensory, the heronic, you know, the, the social and so on. And at the same time, you're visualizing some ex- a, a kind of like innovative and interesting applications from the luxury market. So this really uh, answers uh, to the question of what is the added value? Uh, and I think this is a very good way of thinking about it. So thank you for that, Anna. Yeah. Um, maybe I would just like to do a little twist here, which is, you know, I, I think uh, while, while I was uh, asking you the question is like luxury brands sometimes have the f- more funds actually to implement this. I was actually, you know, challenging my own argument by saying, wait a second, but there are like now so many tools to develop AR uh, uh, kind of like initiatives. Like you have Spark AR by Facebook, which is kind of like a Photoshop for augmented reality. You have uh, the software of uh, Snapchat. And all the different software, you know, that basically allow you to, in a relatively easy way, to develop augmented reality interactions and stuff. So I guess there is also a value for the non-luxury brand, right? That is not oh, necessarily super expensive. Uh, exactly. No, I think that's <clears throat> a really good point. Um, because non-luxury brands do not need to necessarily differentiate themselves in that exclusive manner as luxury yeah. brands do. Um, so the platforms that have, you know, like Facebook and Sparker and Instagram and so on that have enabled the deployment of AR, for instance, through filters or other kind of experiences like Snapchat is very good in that. Mm-hmm. Um, that really provides kind of an easier, you know, way mm-hmm. for means. Yeah, thank you mm-hmm. um, for, for brands to explore in what way the interactions with consumers in the context of social media platforms can transform or be enhanced, be augmented through this added layer mm-hmm. of visualization. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's very exciting. And, and you really see brands picking up on that. Um, so there is a lot going on in that area. So yeah, this democratization of AR that's happening yeah. um, is, is, is very, very good in that, in that regard. And I think, you know, we also see here the importance of collaboration between the social media giants and the brands right so from the point of view of how do you organizationally you know what is the process of this innovation i think the the key players in that process have been kind of redefined okay so you have some agencies that can act as intermediaries uh, intermediates you know between the social media giants and the brands themselves depending who has what kind of knowledge but it's Mm. key to collaborate Anyway, um... no, that, that makes, <laughs> makes absolute sense. And I think what you were saying actually links very well with the next question that I wanted to ask, you know, which is, you know, we see that many of these social media platforms now facilitate, you know, the deployment of these AR strategies. And one that has been exploding, I guess, in the last few years is uh, the, the one of altering our own appearances, right? So you have filters by L'Oreal, you have filters by multiple different companies that are just showing ways in which you can actually augment things both in your physical environment, but more importantly, and related to your research, altering our own appearance, right? So here, I I have to say that I have a a reflection, which is, so we have been altering our sort of like uh, self in a way since the very early times of representation, right? Since the first times we managed to paint or draw ourselves we kind of like alter ourselves. Sometimes we projected stuff. Sometimes we try to be very accurate, but we alter in many ways. Two questions. The first one is, what is different of uh, altering ourselves with augmented reality now? And second, what is the added value that this has for brands, for experiences, and so on? Yeah, you're really getting into the core of the phenomenon there. So yeah. that's, that's <laughs> a great question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so... What is different now? And yeah, I completely agree. This is the key question. And it generally underpins the way, you know, we've been talking here about the technology um, and, you know, also how human computer interaction scientists think about technology. What does a certain technology permit us to do that we weren't able to do beforehand? And in the context of 
altering experiences. There are several points here, altering appearances, sorry. Mm -hmm. There are several points to mention. So first, these alterations of our face, um, of our body are virtual, which means that that tangible tactile element is in a way eliminated. But the alterations seem real which means that they will be associated with one's real self. And maybe I can talk about that a little bit more later. But the second point to mention here is that these alterations, they are ephemeral. So they can appear and disappear much more quickly as opposed to alterations that, you know, we've been doing in, in the, you know, since the dawn of, of humankind, really. Mm. Um, so they can be very fleeting experiences. Um, Another point is that they're instantaneous. So the effort associated with applying ex extravagant makeup or a very fancy outfit is removed and is more easily accessible. Now, this also implies that we can go through many more alterations than we would if we were changing our appearances with physical props, physical items, okay? And this makes us aware of all the opportunities of how we could look like, which is another important aspect. And maybe we can, you know, I think we're probably going to get to that. But finally, because AR is not limited in the way the physical world is, consumers can alter appearances in completely novel ways. Okay, so AR apps allow them to change their facial features to change the appearance in a crazy way sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, or, you know, like a clown, like a fairy tale uh, character, um, beautify themselves in new ways, um, you know, the sky is the limit, so to speak. So these are some of the points of differences. Um, now, what is the, you know, how, how is this adding value? Um, is, the, is the other question that we thought. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, I think here the added value is it is associated with this ability for us to imagine um, how we could look like when trying on different products or changing our appearances. So there's this value and decision-making process that I mentioned before. And from marketing perspective, that is really, that, that is very relevant, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's another component here, which is the, psychological component and I think it's very strong and I think this is still an unexplored area and is the one that I'm, I'm quite keen to contribute to and I'm trying to we're trying to do that through the research and here I think the value is linked to self-concept okay to our to the to the to the notion of our identity to the question of who we are um, and AR provides you with tools to visually explore yourself in these new ways that I've just spoken about. So you have processes like self-transformation, self-expression, self-expansion. So, you know, changing yourself in new ways, you have that available at the tip of your finger. And with a couple of um, clicks, right? Because I guess exactly. before it could be, you know, you have to go to the shop and buy the outfit, maybe whatever you want to look like, but here is just a few clicks, a few, you know, interactions with the touch screen and that's it. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's available in, in a different way, but also you can cross maybe some of the boundaries that otherwise exist physically, which is very exciting, like I was talking about before, that, you know, you can make these changes in completely new ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I think these changes that might otherwise be difficult to access um, are relevant also in the context of, you know, wider social phenomenon such as gender fluidity, the continuous debate about diversity and so on, you can change certain aspects of the self visually at least to maybe access some of the you know parts of your identity that are unexplored or you're curious about and this is now this visual platform that facilitates that process which I think is, is very interesting and powerful um, and very powerful yeah. yes mm. um, but I guess, Anna, you know, yeah, I mean, what you're saying of these uh, ways in which uh, it, it's adding value, I think it's it's quite interesting uh, to see that, I mean, there are some very clear ways in which uh, it's adding value, but there is also like this sort of playground for people to start inventing other ways in which it's going to add value, because basically, as you said, you know, it's not necessarily a physical, a clear physical representation in the virtual world. It's first, anything that you can imagine in the digital world mixed with the physical world. 
So in a way, it's the, yeah, literally it's for your imagination ends what you can do. But something that you are very clear to mention in in your research is that uh, you know altering people's appearances uh, uh, can come at a cost, right? And I'm very very happy actually that you are covering this because you know like as we see all these digital transformations, AR and but all, including others as well, we need to wonder ourselves is like what are the implications of this? So what what are the costs that you see associated with this? And and here I'm referring in particular uh, for all our listeners, and I recently published an article which is called Augmented Self, the effects of a virtual face augmentation on consumers self-concept. I will post this uh, article in the description of the podcast and also some uh, links associated with Anna so that you can get in touch if, if you like. So I'm referring to this article where you uh, basically explore some of these costs. If you can tell us about that, that would be great, Anna. Thank you very much for um, mentioning this this work. Yes, um, I do think this is a really important question. I'm glad you know you find it important and, and, and relevant as well to think about these costs. Okay, to think more about the complexity of how AR is changing our world and in this particular case ourselves. And Indeed, I think in addition to these opportunities that we've been talking about, there is clearly a cost associated with this appearance change. Um, and this cost is related to the fact that, you know, yes, you may change, it, it, it can change the perception of who you are and who you could be. So that means that firstly, you could launch yourself into this permanent quest of the self now obviously we continuously change through life right i mean experiences that we have they make us change uh, and so on but is this visualization of possible selves that i think puts the process of self self creation and self recreation even more at the front the forefront and this choice of possible selves can be overwhelming, can amplified, and is, is amplified really by, by social media. So there is this extensive choice of, of your selves out there. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, a, a relevant um, comparison, but, you know, in a way, if you think of Tinder, for instance, there is an extensive choice of new people you could get in contact with, with the promise of maybe there is someone better out there. There's this constant quest of, you know, how could this be better? Mm -hmm. And that can, and this wide array of choice can make it difficult for someone to settle with the reality. Um, so there is this cost related to the negotiation and perception of what is real and what is only virtual. And I think this is hugely important because the two realities start blending together. And for instance, we saw in one of our exploratory research that, uh, pieces that some consumers intentionally separate the two realities and say, okay, I might be using filters and posting that, you know, on social media and sharing this with my contact, but I'm aware that that's virtual only and that doesn't affect the way I think of myself in physical reality. But for some others, these two realities really start overlapping. Mm. Um, and then that augmented self becomes part of the physical reality for you and that's where things start getting really tricky i can completely imagine and i guess you mentioned something which is clear which is depending on who 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 is dealing with the technology i guess there are some individual differences but i do i have been wondering myself and this uh, i'm very glad that you're also wondering about this this uh, topic in ar which is you know our 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 reference points for what is real if you like and i put it in quotation marks uh, are changing when we have this reference point of uh, what is happening in augmented reality in the virtual world. I mean, not to mention, of course, social media. That, that was kind of like an older literature, uh, kind of like on the, on the yes. topic. But, but 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 the benchmark changes, and when when you have these filters that change your, you know, the way in which you see yourself, how much or your reference point of what is beautiful, you know, uh, or I don't know, like. To just transform yourself in a completely new imaginative way, then then you are contrasted with a reality that is not actually that. Yet you spend a lot of time on the internet. So what becomes your kind of like reference point? And this can be quite confusing for people, I imagine. Well, that's the that's the key question here. And to be honest, you know, 
there isn't yet a clear answer here. And I think, you know, this is, I see this research interests now start, start to be formulated in this area. So to understand how are people going to base their perception of themselves, um, you know, in relation to what they see online, what they see in terms of these virtual changes, how are they going to contrast or combine that with their physical reality? And what are the, you know, psychological process, perception process related to that? Um, so, you know, I mean, in, in a way, self-concept, it's always, it's a mental construction, right? Um, so, but I think what AR does here is that it visualizes some of the dimensions of our self-concept more explicitly. Mm. Um, and maybe the problem that I see there is that it emphasizes the importance of aesthetics, the importance of appearance. Um, so the appearance part of yourself becomes a stronger reference point within, within which you base your identity. So that's one of the problems that I see. Um, you know, that, that is super interesting. You know, like I was, I don't want to get too dystopian looking into the future about this, but I recently came across to this uh, human computer interaction article uh, on augmented reality where they have these, you know, glasses. Of course, this is a technology that is not widely available yet, but they have these glasses and they have a camera in the glasses that detects things that are happening in the environment. But then through the glasses, they manage to augment, um, uh, so to detect an object and augment something different onto the object. So let's say you see a, a guy walking in front of you, the camera detects the guy, but what you actually see is a little bear walking, you know, just like a transformation right. in real time. Of course, it's not as realistic as you would imagine to start with, but at some point you might think that it's yeah. possible that you wear, like, like what you said, when the glasses are adopted and stuff like that, that you see yourself in a mirror and the glasses are already augmenting, kind of yeah. like a transformation, or maybe you see other people in, a, in an augmented way. So I guess the, 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 the future of this uh, looks quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's very, very interesting in terms of, you know, all these opportunities that it brings um, mm -hmm. because you can overlay different kinds of information, visual transformation and so on. But I think this, you know, how are we going to distinguish between virtual and physical? Are we going to distinguish? Um, is it important to distinguish between the two? um is this going to be confusing for people and now you know going back to the area of identity and self-concept for instance those people that you know think of for instance teenagers or people with for instance lower self-esteem um that you know are, are perhaps a little bit more unsure about their self-concept so this can make the process much more confusing um and i think that's that's problematic and we need to think about these things when we are excited about the opportunities of technologies, okay? Because it's not just about, okay, what can we do? What is, you know, what are we able to build? But it's also, well, what should we build and how should we build that? And how should we deploy that? We need to take into account the way this might affect, especially if the effect is negative, people's lives and mental well-being, for instance, is one of the areas that, you know, I'm particularly interested in of late in that in that regard. And I think we're very lucky to have researchers like you, Anna, uh, bringing this to the forefront front of the public discussion, because uh, I, I think this is my personal opinion, of course, but we cannot make things as it happened with social media that, you know, it comes, we create something and then we think about how to uh, regulate it or, or think when is good or where is bad 10 years later or 15 years later you know we need to start having this discussion as things are created and i'm very happy you know to see that your work is actually putting this in the public's eye so that we discuss this you know we see what are the implications what are the long-term implications and given the technologies that are coming as well and how this will become even more accessible cheaper faster and so on we can actually start anticipating and perhaps reacting and preventing the negative effects that uh, this may happen, right? So, Anna, um, I have a few more questions. We're uh, getting to to the end of the podcast now, but I really want to cover through questions. I could stay here for you for with you for hours because this topic is so interesting. <laughs> and it is super interesting as well. Thank you. Uh, but 
so given these costs, let's say, associated with the use yeah. of, of augmented reality, how can companies use mm-hmm. AR responsibly for customer experience experiences and what can customers do as well? Yeah, so this is the key question that has only started being asked recently, actually. Um, and maybe just before answering that, um, just to draw on the research of Augment itself and to mention that, for instance, what we found there is that um, those that experience a more, that are more affected by, you know, augmented overlay, um, augmented representation of themselves, um, and that that's shaking up their self-concept, we've established an empirical link with well-being, okay? Uh, and, and that link is that when we see these idealized representation of ourselves on social media, for instance, or through AR apps, that can make us less tolerant to our physical flaws, okay? We become we have less of self-compassion is the term that, that we use and borrow from, from other research um, towards our physical self, okay? So we're starting to judge ourselves more harshly. And that can leave, you know, that can push some people. And, you know, we see that particularly relevant, for instance, for um, low self-esteem consumers, for instance, that can push them towards seeking these beautify appearances in real world. So that would make people, um, you know, want to seek, uh, aesthetic surgery um, or you know be particularly focused on you know beautifying idealizing their appearance and so on so these are real co- you know we talked a lot about costs and these are profound costs um, that you know some people can be faced with um, when using this kind of technology um, so there is this impact on well-being and we found that also in another piece that we recently did on um, the effects of filters on social media, so not necessarily the you know makeup overlay, but these playful filters that you know social media um, makes available for for individuals to use. And there again, we found that when people are using these filters for ideal self representation, so to make themselves look great on social media, so to speak, to you know present themselves in the best possible manner, um, that has a negative effect on their mental well-being okay so this link is important that we this is i think the link that we need to think about when or at least one of the aspects of you know the uh, within the discourse of the responsible deployment that you've mentioned okay so how do we need to approach thinking um, about responsible use responsible deployment of augmented reality now if we start asking ourselves, you know, within this context, what can companies do to use AR responsibly? Um, so this is really one of the latest lines of our inquiry. And we recently published a piece in Harvard Business Review on, on that topic. And there we propose five different strategies that companies, brands can follow when engaging in responsible deployment of AR. Um, one that we highlight is that brands should take a stance in not promoting unrealistic beauty standards, okay? They should highlight that certain transformations that are available through AR filters are unrealistic. So they need to make it clear exactly how AR is modifying consumers' appearance to make it clear that some of these appearances, you know, they're virtual only, they might be fun, but they are unrealistic in the physical realm. Currently, that's not done. On that, on that note, Anna, I'm not sure yeah. you're familiar with this, but in Norway, there was recently a law, mm. right? Basically directed to that, uh, to kind of like specify when strong transformations were made. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, no, and I think this is really great that, you know, Norway passed a law, um, which was um, particularly tailored, for instance, to influencers that they need to um, basically... Disclose, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was the word I was looking for. Disclose, communicate when their social media content is filtered, edited. Okay, um, but I think in the case of AR, we need to go further because AR is not only um, in parentheses um, editing a, a photo, but is making that video content changed in yeah. real time. It's mm-hmm. AR is more immersive, is more convincing, is more realistic. So that and it's not a be... static, right? Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. 
So there needs to be this kind of policy, but more tailored to the specific characteristics of AR. Um, and I think, you know, also within this, um, so thinking again about these strategies that companies can, um, can follow, um, they can, for instance, in some way contribute towards building that positive self-image, given that negative self-image and mental health are becoming more and more of a problem. Um, and AR filters, to some extent, um, contribute to that. So companies need to be part of that discourse, I think, um, and, and engage in that and highlight what, you know, what is important here for consumers to think about when they're using AR, uh, AR filters. So acknowledging and addressing these mental health risks. Um, and, but I think, you know, there, it needs to go beyond that. Um, so for instance, I think that, you know, when developing this technology, there should be collaboration with experts from domains such as psychology, human computer interaction, consumer behavior um, to conduct research and then say, okay, we need to conduct, we need to do checks before deploying, before launching certain technologies. So for instance, I know that filters uh, offered on Facebook go through internal approval to be scanned for issues such as hate speech and nudity. But we don't do that for other aspects of mental well-being, such as unrealistic beauty standards. And I think we need to start doing that. There need to be policies launched, um, you know, within that space. So I think, you know, I, I'd like to highlight this as a final note in that, in that question, is that there is a strong need for a code of ethics um, when it comes to AR deployment. And I know that, you know, in the... I think in the introductory episode now of the season two, both you and Anders highlighted the importance of ethics in consumer behavior, that there is a need for more discourse on that. And I, I completely agree, I really, really do. Um, and I think there's room for much more formal public policy guidance on that. Um, specifically, you know, in relation to our filters, how to prevent these harmful effects um, on users' psychological well-being. Um, and that's why we need more research and collaboration with policymakers. That makes absolute sense. And, and you know, like I think uh, we are in, in, in times in which, uh, uh, you know, both consumer empowerment and as well uh, a sort of shift in the, in the strategy of many companies toward the line with things that are better for humanity is happening. And one of the things that I think could also complement what you're saying is this idea of, you know, many companies actually do research before launching some of the strategies that they have both, you know, ads, social media campaigns, AR filters and so on. So it's not crazy to think that maybe at some point, some of the companies could actually include some metrics of the impact, perhaps the negative impact that the, their strategies might have in their target groups, such that they can contribute both to the discussion and policy making around what things are good for us and not, and at the same time to prevent actually launching something that might actually harm a vulnerable target group, for example. So I think, yeah. That's a really cool point, Carlos. Um, and to my knowledge, such metrics haven't yet been developed. So there is definitely, specifically to the you know topic of air filters and, and beauty you know, standards and so on. Um, so I fully agree with you that there is a need for you know, formalizing that process you know, part of that iterative design, um, you know, an R&D phase before you're deploying technologies, or even when they're deployed and you are then scanning how people are using it and monitor that, but have metrics of, metrics related to mental well-being included in that space. So yeah, this is, it's really important what you're mentioning. Yeah, I think we should, we should try to prevent rather than, uh... In, intervene right which is kind of like <laughs> what, yeah. what public policy but but of course it's it's not always easy so the world is complex so but, but it's sure. yeah and my final two questions now i promise these are the final two questions <laughs> uh, thinking about the future if you if you think about the future i think we have already talked a little bit about what things can happen and so on but what do you think it's next when it comes to research and practice in AR? I know that many people are talking about metaverse, you know, and all these, these topics, which, you know, to be fair, we were discussing uh, in another podcast on blockchain, like metaverse is just kind of like an evolution. Many people think of oh, this as this real matrix-like kind of environment, but it's just an evolution, right? It's exactly. necessarily like 
uh, it's just like a, a new concept uh, but or, or an old concept that is kind of like being used now i guess but if you look at the future in research and practice what, what do you see yeah so i think you know the future is is incredibly exciting but it's also unpredictable which is the part that i find exciting because you cannot predict exactly how people are going to use technology and thank god if you ask me um and uh so i think one of the things thinking about augmented reality um is you know probably a re-evaluation of the role that physical space plays in our lives especially after covid um, and understanding how virtual and physical space collide now that we're spending more and more time online um, and how AR is going to be more and more integrated as part of that. But I think this role of virtual and physical and physical and virtual is something that will now be redefined as we go forward. Um, but we don't know yet to what extent are people going to be willing to kind of offset their lives into these pockets of virtuality around them? Okay, so which activities will be kind of transferred there um, within which realms, you know, when it comes to work, when it comes to work, when it comes to, um, you know, private experiences, traveling, um, experiences with brands, social contexts, and so on, to which extent is the virtual element and even if it's you know integrated in physical environment as, as augmented reality is to which extent is that going to eat <laughs> the, the 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 physical world so to speak um so that's one really important aspect to keep an eye on um second one i think is the role of ai um in mm. in building these immersive customer experiences that we spoke about today um and we see that for instance through the recent rise of virtual influencers okay um so virtual only influencers that can be situated in physical world um but they're powered through ai and they're transforming the advertising branding space at the moment so i think that's definitely very very important to look at at the moment um but also more broadly you know ai um my PhD student is conducting some fascinating research into these new dynamics emerging between the self-concept and artificial intelligence. So I think the emergence of AI is adding new complexity to the identity project that we spoke about today. Um, and given how much is happening in the artificial intelligence space, um, the understanding of this link between AI and AR is crucial. Um, and I think there's much more to be done there, both in terms of research, but also to observe what phenomena are emerging and then investigate them. So this kind of phenomenon-driven research. Um, and then, of course, the metaverse. And I agree with you, it's not this disruptive, transformational you know, phenomenon that appears, is the next step. Um, Still, I think it's brought new dimensions to the discourse around immersive technologies. Um, I guess from the point of view of AR, it will be important to understand, um, you know, what part of metaverse is going to be AR as opposed to VR, when you're, you know, completely immersed into, into virtual. Um, who will be building hmm. these spaces? For instance, we saw this week that Meta stocks plunged. Was hmm. that a reaction to oh, we are not that keen on the virtual space that you're building for us. So, you know, not wanting the tech giants like Zuckerberg and the like to be owning that space. Um, so how is the construction of that space going to happen? I think this is really, really important um, because that links to the questions like privacy and ethics that we've been talking about today. Um, so a wide, I see the discourse around AR to be widening and touching on these social questions, socioeconomic questions, cultural um, aspects and so on. So I find it very fascinating how the, this discourse is, is growing and rightfully so. No, this is this is fascinating and what you're saying and it's like the, the future really has uh, i mean it's very exciting to think about it uh, uh, i was also wondering things you know such as uh, 
given that the, the, the metaverse and let's say, or what people call web uh, 3.0 will involve more decentralized options. I'd imagine what does decentralized AR may look like, right? When it's kind of like not Facebook creating it, but maybe it's kind of like taking place in a blockchain or something like that. So this is, this is very fascinating. And I also want to highlight one of the points that you mentioned, which is how, how do we move forward uh, in terms of, uh, you know, like are the boundaries between real and virtual fading away somehow and you know like this is also a topic that that i find particularly intriguing but anyway like the future looks looks bright my final question anna is uh, we typically close the podcast uh, by asking our guests you know because we have many people many practitioners and people that will actually be working on 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 customer experience management uh, in as, as our listeners what recommendations would you give them based on your research if you can give them like, I don't know, some some uh, key recommendations, what would that be? Yeah, thank you, Carlos. Um, it, it's always important to think about how we can apply the academic research into real world. Um, so I would advise practitioners to pay close attention to questions around responsible deployment and ethics, because this is climbing up the agenda. Uh, we spoke about that here, but I see that rising excuse me, as an important point also on other platforms, um, you know, within international uh, uh, bodies, governing uh, bodies and so on. So do not ignore this. Uh, do not ignore this discourse. See how you can get involved in it, how that can be meaningfully integrated as part of the brand narrative, for instance, um, so that you're taking part in that, uh, in that important discourse. Secondly, um, given how the technology is developing, it is crucial really to be building interdisciplinary teams. Okay, so collaborate, for instance, for marketers, it's crucial to collaborate beyond the boundaries of marketers. Um, and it is not always easy to have, you know, conversations where you have both designers um, and you have marketers and you have market researchers and you have computer scientists, developers and so on. These conversations are not easy, admittedly, because not everyone is using the same lingua. Maybe you're talking about the same phenomenon with different languages and so on. But it's only through these kind of collaborations that meaningful deployment that covers not only technology, but also, you know, the, the, the human experience and the, obviously the marketing aspects, which are so important for companies, that they can all be covered and brought together in a meaningful way. Some companies are doing that and I applaud them for it. Um, and, and some are kind of still shying away from that approach, but I think it's a key approach if you really want to do immersive technology as well. Um, Another thing to emphasize, I think, is that when we talk specifically, for instance, about how AR is used for personalizing someone's appearance or, or altering it and so on, um, changing someone's appearance, allow there for as much personalization as possible. Okay, Do not shoehorn consumers into pre-established mold too much allow them for freedom, give them some control over the use of, of this technology, obviously make it easy for them. Um, and, but it's like that, that you can allow for diversity that allows you to integrate these values like diversity and inclusivity into AR experiences, um, into experiences with extended realities such as metaverse and so on. Um, so this I think is, is really, really important and will attract wider group of, of consumers into, into such experiences, if you will. Um, and um, I think maybe the, the final thing that, and that's, you know, we saw that from our research, um, is that the appetite for self-change, for instance, differs, okay? Some want complete transformation and are brave enough to launch themselves into that. Um, others are much more reluctant to do so for various reasons. And AR needs to cater to these different tastes, okay? Um, it needs to allow different people to appropriate it in a way that is suitable and comfortable for them. Um, so I think it's about understanding the complexity of that human experience, okay? Um, that will permit marketers to deploy AR in a, in a meaningful way such that it is meaningful for different consumers 
and therefore exciting and, and therefore useful for companies and so on. These are some of the points, for instance, that are useful to think about. And this is such a fantastic way to finish uh, the podcast, Anna, understanding the complexity of human experience, perfectly aligned with the, the aim of this uh, podcast. So thank you so much for those points. Uh, for our listeners, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure to have Anna Yavorni uh, today. Please go and check her work. I'm going to post the link to her article, Augmented Self, the Effects of Virtual Face Augmentation on Consumers' Self-Concept. But not only that article, she has fantastic research uh, published and many uh, interesting ones that I'm actually looking forward to, to reading uh, already. Uh, so I will post her uh, website so that you can uh, track any of the research that she publishes in the future. Anna, thank you so much for being uh, with us today. It was a pleasure to have you and hope that you also enjoyed.